Uh, today, we are starting a new series called The Future Is Now. The Future Is Now. And basically what that means is the future is moving towards us right now. And it requires our preparation and our participation. And God is saying to us as a community and to us as individuals, he's saying there's things that I want to do in your life that are amazing. There's people that I want to help in the community and I want to work through you to do it. There's an extraordinary sense of freedom that I want to give to you. And there's an extraordinary sense of purpose that I want your life to have. And we, as Pacific City Church, we want to welcome that in our lives, in our community, and in this church. And this whole series, The Future Is Now, will lead up to September 29th, where we will celebrate our one-year anniversary. Uh, And we're, I mean, we've been around for a year. It's amazing. Yay. Uh, Most churches die in the first year. We didn't die. <laughs> yeah, you get a sense into my brain how this works. Like, oh, God, well, we survived. Uh, it's a cold. Uh, yeah. Um, so, like, yeah, we survived. We're doing well. We're reaching and connecting with new people. We've seen a lot of people come to faith in Jesus. And we're going to celebrate that with a huge party, games, things to do, lots of food, all that stuff. I think there will be a birthday cake at some point. Uh, I like cake. Do you like cake? Yes. So we're going to do that. And uh, we're also on that Sunday, we're going to be launching five new opportunities, new ministries in the community. And it's going to be really exciting. So this series, the future of now, uh, the future is now starts right now. So, and so today I'd like to begin our series uh, by talking about one of the major shifts happening in American culture at an unprecedented level. We're experiencing a culture of no commitment, a culture of no commitment. Commitment is at an all-time low because trust is at an all-time low. And so Americans find themselves having difficulty making commitments. We see this in business. Look at different businesses that exist now. You don't really need to have a commitment to a gym. You can quit anytime. You don't really need uh, to, you can add, there's clothing stores that are online. You can have the clothes shipped to you. You try them on, decide if you want no commitment, ship them back if you want. Costco even has a policy that you can return anything at any time uh, for any reason. And they will give you your money back. No commitment necessary to your purchase. We not only see this in business, we see this in the casualness of dating. Uh, Maybe this has happened to you. Maybe you've experienced this. Maybe you've gone out on a few dates with somebody and then the person ghosted you. Uh, do I say that like an old person? They ghosted you. Uh, the, the show, the, there, it's actually the whole ghosting phenomenon is so big, so noncommittal in our culture that MTV it, uh, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a channel that is on cable. Uh, they used to show music television on it. They don't do that anymore. MTV has a new show called Ghosted. And it's uh, ghosted. It's called Love Gone Missing. And so basically, uh, MTV has found these people who felt like they were really getting along and falling in love with someone. And then the other person ghosted them. And so they take a camera crew and they do their research and they go find the person. And they confront them and they're like, you did this to me. And the person's like, whoa, I didn't meet all these cameras. Also, I'll sign the release. And uh, they end up on television. Uh, 
We not only see this in dating, we see this in marriage. Till death do us part is no longer the commitment. Uh, We stay committed to one another as long as it's convenient, as long as you don't change, or if I decide to change, that's okay. Uh, Or if it becomes too difficult, or it starts to cost me something, I don't have to hold to this commitment. And as a result of this no commitment culture, the free market has responded by giving Americans... Endless options. We Americans have an overwhelming amount of options, and so we have a culture of options. Think about all the options you have. I love Amazon. I have Amazon Prime. If I want to buy hangers on Amazon Prime, I search for hangers, and I will have 200,000 options for hangers. Do I want the metal ones? Do I want the felt ones? Which ones do I want? If I want orange juice... I can have pulp, no pulp, calcium, no calcium. I can have, like, just go to the orange juice section. It's bigger than my apartment in most places. Toothpaste, you can have the organic, the non-organic, the baking soda, the flavor crystals that will help fight the gum disease, gingivitis. And But beyond our consumer choices, we have options in our personal lives. Should I stay in this job? Should I leave this job? Should I stick with this person? Or should I, uh, should I leave this person? Should I maintain this friendship? Or should I slowly back away and pretend like they can't get a hold of me? Should I stay committed to State Farm? Or will 15 minutes or more save me 15% or more on car insurance by calling Geico? The proliferation of options has made its way beyond our consumer choices Beyond our personal choices, it's even made its way into the church. Tell me what you like. Tell me about what preaching you like. Do you like long preaching or short preaching? Do you like funny preaching? Do you like very somber preaching? What kind of music do you like? Do you like like praise and worship? Do you like hymns? Do you like hymns that are done in a very cool acoustic? What do you like? What do you like when it comes to children's ministry? What do you like from your people uh, in terms of small groups and extra activities outside of the church? What is your theology? What are your preferences? Tell that all to me and I can probably find a church that will fit all of your needs based on all the options that we have. So a culture of no commitment And a culture of endless options is shaping every sphere of American life. And it is a culture of complete convenience that we find ourselves in. Now, the tension is this. The tension is, on the one hand, we have a culture that values no commitment and lots of options. But we know that anything worth doing, anything worth becoming... Anything worthwhile at all requires what? What does it require? Commitment. Commitment. Yes. It also requires sacrifice. Sacrifice. I want to present to you on the screen the greatest basketball player of all time, LeBron James. Uh, Some of you are not from uh, where I come from, and so you're like, oh, Michael Jordan. But really, it is LeBron. You're like, oh, Kobe. Yeah, you would be wrong. We're losing members by the minute. Uh, let's just let's be frank. You, you don't even have to like basketball, and you don't even have to agree with me on LeBron, but LeBron is amazing. If you've ever seen him in the flesh, ever seen him in a basketball game, it's unreal what he can do, what nobody else can do. And for LeBron James to become LeBron James required what? 
It required great commitment and it required great sacrifice. He had to intentionally limit his options and make certain sacrificial commitments to become the best. If you follow him on Instagram, which everyone should, why wouldn't you? Uh, Unless you're fasting from Instagram. So you should follow him on Instagram and his stories usually start at about 3 a.m. On his Instagram feed because he's up at the gym working on his fitness and he's going and he's working out and he's like in the mirror and he's doing stuff, all the things, but like the dude is committed. And by the time he gets home around five thirty-six, he's also taking Instagram stories of his family. Who's out shooting hoops, getting practice and practice and practice and practicing. And he made extraordinary commitments and sacrifices, limiting what he eats, who he associates with, how late he stays out at night, what he consumes in his body, everything. Thing works towards becoming what he is supposed to be as a star. And we know that this is true for every sphere of life. Every artist, every actor, every musician, every painter, every educator, every social worker, every founder of every company. They all needed to sacrifice certain freedoms. They needed to make extraordinary commitments and they needed to limit their options to become the very best. So the tension is this. On the one hand, we have American culture which calls to us and says you have endless options and you don't really need to make any commitments. But we know, we feel it in our soul that there's something wrong with that. We say, well, there's this sacrifice that needs to be made if life is going to be worth living, if I'm going to become who I'm meant to be. So we live in this tension. What are we going to do and who are we going to believe? Yeah, like I said, it's shaping every sphere of American life. And what we see in the Bible is that Jesus offers us a very different way of thinking. We learn about the way of Jesus. He consistently calls people, his followers, to shrink their options, to shrink their options, to become a certain kind of person. To choose to be committed in certain ways, to make sacrifices in certain ways. And this runs counter And against everything we're seeing in American culture. So the question we're going to talk about today is, is it worth it? And we're also going to talk about, do we think we can bend God according to our culture? Or will we listen to what he is offering us and what he has today, has to say? So I've called today's talk, Burn the Boats. And we're going to be taking a look at a passage of scripture from the New Testament where Jesus... Uh, uh, offered some discipleship uh, tools to some people. Uh, but let's first, let's, let's join. Uh, will you join with me in praying? Let's, let's pray together. God, we give you this time today. And I ask God that you would be with us. I ask that you would help me to speak as I should. And God, I ask that even right now that, um, that people would feel your grace and your gospel. God, that they wouldn't feel a sense of sacrifice so that God loves them. God, we already know that you love us. And out of response to that love, we want to commit and sacrifice, God. So I ask that the reality of your gospel would permeate this room and we would understand it clearly. We give you this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we're going to drop into a story. Jesus uh, is on earth in this story. And he's walking around. And he's meeting uh, with different people, um, and he's hanging out, and he's going from town to town. And, um, 
And at some point, he decides he needs to go to Jerusalem. And when he sets out on foot for Jerusalem, when he gets to Jerusalem, that's eventually where he will be crucified, executed, and then he will rise from the dead. So in the story, right before we hop into what we're going to read, Jesus has made the decision to go to Jerusalem. And he understood what that meant, that he was going to die. And it says he turned his face towards Jerusalem and started heading there. And so he's heading towards Jerusalem. He's made the commitment. Things are happening. He's making his way down. And he is with his 12 disciples. And people keep coming up to him and saying, I want to go with you to Jerusalem. And here's what we read. Luke 9, starting in verse 57. He says, uh, it says, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first, let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service of the kingdom of God. Jesus' invitation to these men is clear. Change what you're committed to and experience the freedom of the kingdom. Change who you're committed to and experience the freedom of the kingdom of the kingdom. So what we see is we see three men, three pledges, three commitments, and three responses. This first man, this is a teacher of the law. Uh, Look at it with me again in verse 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Let's talk about this for a minute. What's Jesus saying here? Well, it's really interesting because in another part of the New Testament, another writer wrote this from a different perspective in Matthew chapter 8. And what we learn about this particular man is that he is a wealthy scribe, a wealthy teacher of the law. He's well respected in his community. And Jesus is very secure in who he is. And he challenges this man and he challenges him because he thinks that he just wants to be respected. And Jesus is saying to him essentially, look. If you're doing this because you think it'll be fun. If you're doing this because you think you'll get more followers. If you're doing this because it will help you will be more influential in the community. If you're doing this because you think it will make you more wealthy, you're wrong. You're wrong. There's no place to lay your head when you call yourself the son of man. There's no place like that. And what I'm telling you is that you might be wrong. You might be mistaken. This leads us to our first point. Following Jesus will require sacrifice. Following Jesus will require sacrifice. And man, this is so hard for us to hear. Some people think that if they, uh, they follow Jesus, if they just show up here on a Sunday or show up somewhere on a Sunday and they kind of raise their hands and seem into it with a little bit of passion and they throw in just a little bit of money in the plate or if they serve now and again here or there, that this will trigger some sort of cosmic karma formula where we will be able to bend God to our will and we will get what we want out of the deal because we gave the minimum amount of lip service to him. 
And what Jesus is saying is no maximum amount of commitment or little amount of commitment can ever bend uh, his will to fit whatever we desire. Some people think that if they follow Jesus, they're going to get rich, that their lives will be uh, a little bit easier, that they'll have 2.5 children and marry just the perfect person, and they'll have access to the Brentwood Country Club. And friend, that is not the nature of the kingdom. What we see in the kingdom of God is that following Jesus isn't always easy. It's not always a piece of cake, and you are not guaranteed happiness 24-7, 365. Now, Jesus does offer the full and complete life, but the way that he offers it is different because the very nature of this life is predicated on his sacrifice. You see, the nature of the kingdom of God is such that it requires sacrifice, which is required in love. It's impossible to love someone else without some sort of sacrifice. And the reason we know this is true is because we just look at the real world. But also, this is why we follow Jesus. We know that he loves us because he made a sacrifice for us. Now, I'm going to read to you a lengthy quote from Tim Keller, but I think it really highlights what I'm getting at. And here's what it says about sacrifice. Jesus didn't have to die. um, Let me start again. Jesus didn't have to die despite God's love. He had to die because of God's love. He had, it had to be this way because all life-changing love is substitutionary sacrifice. Think about it. If you love a person whose life is all put together and has no major needs, it costs you nothing. It's delightful. But if you ever try to love somebody who has needs, someone who is in trouble or who is persecuted or emotionally wounded, then it's going to cost you. You can't love them without taking a hit yourself. A transfer of some kind is required so that somehow their troubles, their problems transfer to you. Now, there's a lot of wounded people out there and they're emotionally sinking, they're hurting and they're desperately need, they desperately need to be loved. And when they're with you, You want to look at your watch and make a graceful exit because listening to them with all of their problems can be grueling. It can be exhausting to be a friend to an emotionally damaged person. The only way they're going to start filling up emotionally is if somebody loves them. And the only way to love is to let yourself be emotionally drained. Some of the fullness is going to have to go into them. And you are going and you have to empty out some of to some degree. If you hold on to your emotional comfort and simply avoid these people, they will sink. The only way to love them is through substitutionary sacrifice. True love requires sacrifice. And what Jesus said to this man is the same thing that he says to you and I today. Commitment without sacrifice is a myth. And friend, if you're going to follow Jesus... If you love Jesus, if you've experienced the inbreaking and the power of his sacrifice in your life, your life, he will call on you and it will require sacrifice. It will all require sacrifice in almost every area of your life. Everything from your time and your money to your relationships, to your sex life, your finances, to your preferences. And I have found that it's like really hard to make a sacrifice at the time of making a sacrifice. But often I realize that later... It really makes a lot of sense. So when I first started, let me give you an example. Like when I first started following Jesus as an adult, like I kind of did it as a kid, but then I really committed as an adult. It felt so hard 
to make the choices to align my life with Jesus. I had to sacrifice my time. For the first time, I was giving my time to people I didn't necessarily know or like. I mean, you ever go to uh, hang around other Christians? It can feel like, where did these people come from? Of course, not here. Other churches. Other people. Um, or, and then I started giving my money away. That felt so big at the time. It felt so hard. And then the kind of relationships I was starting to have and the, and the other kinds of relationships I was pulling back from, that what seemed like monumental choices at the time turned out to be the life-changing choices that changed the trajectory of my life. And what Jesus is calling for is sacrifice because he wants to offer something so much more amazing. And oftentimes that sacrifice, like I said, seems so big at the beginning, but in the end it pays off because he's trading what we think is really important to ourselves and he's trading it and he's giving us something bigger and deeper and something that actually makes an impact in our life. Now, uh, it reminds me of a quote from my favorite author, Christian author, C.S. Lewis. Uh, He wrote this. um, It says this, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. So the question is, like, are we playing with mud? And are we allowing what we're, oh, this nice little mud pile. And meanwhile, God is offering us a fully paid trip to ride the waves in the North Shore of Hawaii. What are we going to do? Are, are there mud pies in our lives? Are there sacrifices that God may be requiring of, of us that are so much better than what we're playing with now? So that, that's the issue with the first man. Here's, here's the second man. Uh, We read in verse 59, he says, uh, he said to another man, follow me. But then he replied, Lord, first, let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, the difference between the first man we just read about and the second man is this. Jesus, in this passage, he actually invites the man to come. He says, come follow me. And this man responds and basically says, okay, I will do it. Not now, but not forever. Got to tidy some things up. And Jesus responds again, much like the first man, it's not warm and fuzzy. Jesus is very direct with this man, but I want to give you the backstory of what's going on here. This whole bury my father thing. Um, the whole bury my father thing is very interesting. If you look up and you understand what was happening at the time, uh, it's actually a common phrase that was used in first century Middle Eastern culture. And, it, uh, it was, it was used as more of an excuse. It's not like this guy was actually on his way to the funeral home for the wake. He's like, ah, sorry, I can't go to the, uh, wake anymore. Um, I have to go follow Jesus down to Jerusalem. That's not what is actually happening here. Scholars suggest that the father is probably alive. And in most, most scholars would suggest that he's probably not even terminally ill. And so what essentially the man is saying is, Jesus, I like what you're offering. I'm in, but I have commitments to my family and my family's business that supersede what I can commit to you right now. I am totally in for the kingdom. I believe it's important. It's totally true. I'm totally in, but I just need another five or 10 years. 
and then I'll join up with what you're doing. And Jesus responds and says, people who are spiritually dead, who care nothing about the kingdom, they can manage themselves. They can do it themselves. And Jesus says, you said you loved me. You said you want to give me everything. That's going to require that you reprioritize everything. Your relationships, your values, your commitments, and even your long-term commitments to your family's business. This leads us to our second point. Following Jesus will require reprioritizing everything. You will never have more time. And when we say, Jesus, we give you everything, it must reflect in our calendar and it must reflect in our priorities. So what does it mean to make time for the kingdom? Well, for some of us, it may require that we put aside one priority to make priorities for something else. You might need to put aside one priority to make time for people in the community who are hurting. You may be required to change your spending habits so that you can follow what Jesus is saying in terms of a biblical tithe. It may mean that you may have to say no to a last-minute opportunity because you've already made a commitment to your spiritual growth and your discipleship. Their priorities must change to allow Jesus and what he says to you to be the number one thing in your life. So that's man number two. Let's talk about man number three. We read about him in verse 61. And he says, still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Seems reasonable. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom, is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, what you need to know in this is that Jesus is not opposed to people saying goodbye. It's not like, uh, much like the second man, Jesus isn't asking the man to ghost his family. It's not like, okay, uh, Malachi went off to the market to pick up some pita and some hummus. And now he's been gone for like eight days. I think we should call the police. <laughs> like, where did he go? <laughs> like, oh, he's following Jesus now. Oh, he couldn't even say goodbye. That's not what Jesus is getting at. That's what cults do. That's not what Jesus does. <laughs> Jesus is not demanding that the man be irresponsible. What Jesus is getting at, and this is very interesting. He's getting at this man's distracted heart. And when Jesus looked at him, in the situation in first century, we don't know exactly what he saw, but he definitely saw something beyond just this guy giving a quick goodbye. Something in his interaction with this man led him to believe that this man was divided at the very core of his being. He sees him and he sees that this man has the fear of missing out. He looks at this man and he sees, man, this guy always thinks the grass is greener on the other side. In his current cart condition, he's unable to look ahead and be focused on the kingdom of God and the future. And so if he was to follow Jesus, he would always be looking to his left and to his right. He would always be thinking about the other option. He'd always be looking for another opportunity. And Jesus saw this and he calls it out and he's really honest with him. Which leads us to our third point. Following Jesus will require an undivided heart. Now, I don't know much about uh, agriculture, and I don't know much about plowing fields. Uh, and I certainly don't know much about plowing fields with oxen, 
But what I understand from this passage and from all of the scholarship written on it is that you don't plow uh, with a couple of um, oxen. You don't plow looking one foot ahead. You don't plow just staring at the ground. And you don't plow with your head on swivel. You plow with a single point in the distance and you focus on that because that keeps you going straight and that keeps you focused and it's good for the animals and it's good for your crop. Uh, the only thing I can liken it to is if you've ever had or owned a yard, uh, when you mow the lawn, um, uh, I always, I always used to mow my lawn, no shirt. It was an amazing situation. And, uh, you don't look at your feet. You kind of, you kind of look at your feet, but you look up and you kind of stay focused to keep the lines going straight back and forth. You're not looking around. Otherwise it's all crooked and crazy and your spouse will come out and be upset with you. It's the same with this. Our things in our, there's so many things that can divide our hearts, isn't there? The what ifs. What if there's another opportunity that I need to take advantage of? There's so many other things around me. Uh, following Jesus requires so much focus and putting so many other things aside. Man, it is such a collision between Jesus' ethics on sex and what I think about sex. Man, it's such a collision of what Jesus thinks about money and what I think about money. Well, gee, there's so much. Like, what if there's, I just want to be comfortable. Man, look at all these people having a good time on Instagram. Meanwhile, I'm taking pictures and posting them of, burnt mac and cheese and burnt brownies. There's so much going on. I'm fear. I'm losing. I have a fear of missing out. I'm losing out. And Jesus calls us. He says, stop it. You got to let go. You got to get rid of the things that are dividing your life. If you want to follow me, it requires an undivided heart. In 1519, Hernan Cortez uh, landed in Veracruz in the New World. And uh, he was a conquistador. And I'm, I'm going to tell you a little story about him. But as a disclaimer, uh, he definitely participated in some genocide, uh, which is not cool. And that has nothing to do with this story. But, like, if you just put aside his personal life and you look at what I'm about to tell you as a leadership example, it's really good. But you should know that on the front end. I'm not like, hey, Cortez is the best. I wear Cortez shirts. No. Um, if you look at what he did as a leadership lesson, it's actually quite valuable. In 1519, he lands on the shores of Veracruz, and the crew and all of his men are completely worked up. They're like, this is an impossible task. The mission that's before us to move forward and to start to colonize the new world, it's impossible. We can't do it. I think what we should do, we should rally together and we should kill Cortez. We should take these ships and we should head back to Europe. And so Cortez, and probably one of the best decisions he ever made, single-handedly at the beaches, as soon as they land, everyone gets off, all the stuff is off. The first thing he did was... Have the boats burned. They burned all the boats. All the boats were burned to the ground and nothing was left. And they had no choice but to rally with Cortez and move forward. You see, retreat is easy when we have the options. Let that ruminate in your brain for a minute. We all have the propensity to cling to something that can act as an escape hatch, an exit strategy, a safety net, 
or just in case. We do this sometimes when we postpone action. We put decisions we know God is calling us to in purgatory, some sort of decision purgatory, kind of like an unread text message or an unread email. Oh, this person doesn't know if I can go to this event tonight because I haven't responded. It's in, we somehow think that we can fool God by putting God in some sort of decision-making purgatory. We haven't decided yes or no, God, so I guess I'm not out of your favor. We say things like, that doesn't make sense, or I don't know if this is the right time to do this. And you know what? For Cortez, it would have made sense to burn like most of the ships and keep one or two available just in case they needed to go back. But Cortez was on a mission, and he knew the only way to keep himself and his men from quitting on the mission was to burn the boats. What Cortez did forced him and his team to either succeed or die. And the retreat was not an option. And friends, I believe that if we truly want to see a level of breakthrough in our discipleship to Jesus Christ, there are times where you and I need to burn the boats. And the question we need to ask ourselves is, what are my boats? What are the things I've left on the shore? What am I afraid to let go of? Now, I can't answer that for you. You have to answer that for yourself. But you can ponder the question, what are the boats in my life that need to be burned? And Jesus calls us to get rid of all other options. Jesus calls us to diminish all other commitments and respond to him and burn the boats. And sometimes the best thing we can do, the best thing we can do is burn the boats. Now, the way of Jesus requires sacrifice, uh, but it's not so that God loves us. And I think it's important to remind you of that right now. And what I have found is that it's simply impossible for us to get this completely right. We will make mistakes. We will have issues. We will go back and forth and we will waver. We can't do this perfectly. But I am here to tell you that there is one who came before us, who did the ultimate boat burning, and he did it perfectly. And his name is Jesus Christ. And you see, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the good news is that Jesus overcame sin and death and the tensions that we face And he won them over and he died on the cross in our place. And anybody who accepts this good news can begin to experience the power and the life that Jesus has to offer. He left heaven and came down to earth and limited himself by becoming a real human being. And he cut all the other options out and said, I'm going to die in your place for you. And for me. And so, anyone who desires to draw near to Him when He enters your life, you're not just there to, like, yay, I can go to heaven now, but He is actually providing you spiritual power for the here and now so that He can break into your life and you can begin to live the way you were intended to live. And what Christians believe is that Jesus is already committed to us. And he offers a better way than your opinions. And he offers the power to live the way that life was intended to live. And when we choose to follow him, there is a power that will enter into your life. And you'll be, wow, 
I'm starting to make different choices. I have the internal fortitude to move forward and make a commitment here and limit my options here and make the decision to burn the boats. I never thought I could. And it doesn't feel like a big thing in the immediate. Change doesn't work that way. Like, I, I don't feel that different from yesterday to today, but I definitely feel different from five years ago to today. Progress, burning the boats, limiting your options, commitment to Jesus as a response to his love for you. You will see that progress. We will see that change in our lives. And when we do, wow, wow, wouldn't it be awesome if we as a community, we were like radically sold out to Jesus. And what would that look like? And we would have an impact on the city you never, we could have never imagined. And so as we consider the future is now, the future is moving towards us. I am calling us and I'm calling myself to say, what are the boats? Let's burn the boats and let's get radical about following Jesus this year. Amen.